0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Brand and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and joined as always by my co host, Peace. We have an incredible episode today we're very excited about. We are joined by Anna Shalon, the head of people at Runway. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Of course, of course. Excited to have you here. So, can you just please tell the audience just a little bit about Runway and uh, what you guys do over there?
1: Yes. Runway is a content creation software powered by uh machine learning. Um and so the company is four years old and we've had some exciting releases recently with uh text to video capacity. Mm. Um and we are about to reach fifty employees.
0: Incredible, incredible, incredible. So usually I start off the podcast by saying, Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the person's company and then I ask for their background. Your background needs a little bit of an extended story. So one of the probably most interesting background we've had on the pod. So originally from France, you're a former musician. Your mother is actually a famous French actress. And now you've somehow ventured to the United States into the people's face in tech. So simply put, how did that all happen? <laughs> like, how did that all happen?
1: I mean, I don't even know if I can answer this, but um, it was, yeah, an interesting journey for sure. My family is all in the art. So I was in it by just the the nature of that and uh, played music my whole life and um, after high school I actually went to law school in France just because I I really liked school and structure and anyway Um, so I enjoyed that but knew I didn't want to be a lawyer took a year to focus on music full-time I lived in London during that time and decided to move to the U.S. to try and pursue a singer-songwriter career thinking that I might regret it if I didn't So I did that. Um, I enjoyed it, but I think it also confirmed that it was probably not the right path for for me um, because I do enjoy that sort of structure and predictability and things that the entertainment industry doesn't offer. And then, I mean, I did many things in between, trying to figure out my, my visa, my paperwork, and did a lot of side jobs and landed my first job somehow at you know 25 years old with no really uh proper professional experience before that. So that taught me a lot. I learned it in recruiting very quickly and I just loved it. It just clicked the idea of just uh giving opportunity to people and also thinking I could take a lot of my learnings around untraditional background and also people who maybe had less privileged than, than I had and, uh, thinking of how we could hopefully change the landscape of things a little bit. So really enjoyed it. And now eight years later, I'm, I'm where I am. I feel very lucky that, um, I found this thing that I, I just really enjoy doing and hopefully that I'm decently good at. So that's, that's really nice.
2: <laughs> I mean, you're in the position of, you know, leadership. So I'm sure you're doing a great job. Um, uh... How has your your background, your cultural background, being from in France, influenced you know your leadership style? What are certain lessons that's really been effective uh, for you as you you know continue to you know deal with people and deal with you know other leaders at uh, Runway? And you have a you know really cool background at Frame, so we'll get into that yeah. later. But yeah, so break that down for us, please.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, just moving in general and anyone moving from one country to another, I think it's very um, humbling. And also when it's a different language, because it forces you to question everything you know and approach conversation without having uh, assumptions. And so I think just moving here and knowing that I didn't have the same pop culture reference or same vocabulary or um that I I knew it was not going to be the same interactions, I think really allowed me to just approach every interaction with an open mind or at least i tried um knowing that i could say something wrong or that might not translate right or might not resonate and so i i think i learned a lot from it like i i don't think i would have been as good of a leader in france than i think i became here by just having to be forced out of my comfort zone and and be forced to really try and understand where people are coming from, because I knew from the get go that it was not going to be the same as I'm coming from. And from a, you know, typical style, I would say one thing that I felt a difference right away was maybe the level of directness, because that's just uh, culturally something that French people are are known for. Um And so I feel like it's been interesting to, to realize the, the difference in, um, some communication the way feedback are shared and finding an in between i think i really like that because i think uh in in france it can be sometimes a little i don't like the too direct to me too direct means you've crossed the line and you're just being a little rude um because very direct is great but it shouldn't be rude so i think finding the middle ground between being direct but not being hurtful and being empathetic um has been uh, a learning and and i think uh really interesting.
2: Has there been anybody, you know, directly associated, you know, in your network or indirectly that you've been, you know, observing from afar that's really helped almost like mold that transition to be as seamless as possible? Like, was it, let's say, you know, other people, leaders, was it your family? Like, who really has been influential to you as you've been making that transition, not only from a different industry, but also to a whole different culture?
1: So many people, honestly, I think, uh, I don't know if it was one person, but just more, the number of people I met along the way from like founders of the first company that I joined to um, another after to then a chief people officer who I reported to who was extremely um, inspiring and I learned a lot from. I think it was just a lot of different people and not necessarily even in my field, even friends who I looked up to that uh, just allowed me to ask questions like, I I didn't know my, my parents are obviously not here they don't speak English they're in a creative field that they've never worked in an office you know so I'm like they're not gonna be helpful here like at all so um that was nice to have to figure things out in a way but um for sure I got some help like I know the first time I started applying for jobs my resume was at the French standard which means that I had my picture on it my date of birth and my like relationship status, which sounds so French that I, when I say this though, but um I didn't know that's not coming here. And actually I was being rejected a lot and someone helped me and was like, wait, you should really, this is a, a turn off here. I updated my resume and got a lot more callback, but it also highlighted to me that this is, this is so flawed. I'm the same person. I have the same experience. I'm being rejected because I have a picture because that's what I was taught in my country. That seems, just you know unhelpful bias um so i think that just taught me two things
2: i mean what i think is really interesting well first of all i didn't know that right i didn't know that you know birth uh birthday uh relationship status was necessary which (laughs) is pretty (laughs) cool but uh why do you think that is i mean it seems to me like you put yourself you made a large leap forward being as transparent as possible and it wasn't really receptive to a lot of american companies do you think that's just simply a cultural thing do you I believe it's because the transparency levels from different uh, regions and industries just varies. Like, what's what's your what's your two cents on that?
1: I think it's really more a typical um, familiarity bias. Like we like what we know, and when something is just out of the standard, it feels it just feels off. Right? It's like it doesn't fit in. Like I remember someone who had said, "Oh, if someone comes to an interview uh, at a startup wearing a suit." To me it's automatically a rejection, right? Because that's that means it's not the right vibe. And I was like, but what if they were taught by their parents that it was that's how you do interviews and they just don't know? Like that seems I don't think we should reject them, right? But there's that sort of uh I think feeling that creates then so many other biases of we are attracted by what is similar to us and what we know and when someone proposes something that is just outside, it just feels off right so when and i know because i I see it all i've seen it before like you see someone who applies with a, a picture on their resume it feels it just feels misaligned with the standard that you were taught so this person is not a fit right that's the whole like culture fit thing it's like that's not a fit like the person the people that i know my friends would not do this so no and I think those are just a classic shortcut and knowing that we spend what, like five seconds on re- per resume, because there's, we have to and I do that too, but we have to make those short, some shortcuts, it's just some of them are just, just really flawed. Um, yeah,
2: how do, how do how does yourself and your team uh, look at almost combating those kind of biases, you know, within what you guys do at Runway? are there- Certain things that you're bringing, that you've learned, you know, jumping on the runway team. I know you're at Frame IO, and you're a big part of how they scaled and to potentially be fired, which you you can get into later on. Uh, But yeah, just going back to what I was saying earlier, like what practices do you guys follow through to make sure that everyone gets an equal opportunity? Everyone gets a fair shot of, you know, showcasing who they are. Because like you said, like just because someone wears a suit doesn't necessarily mean they can't do the job or they won't Mm -hmm. really be a good fit. Like you said, it's just maybe their mom or their father Mm -hmm, said mm -hmm. hey you know you you have to present well suit Mm -hmm. tie nice shoes and do the part so how would you what would you say about that
1: um i think just keeping ourselves in check and like each other accountable because we have different biases and i think that's also why having a diverse team is, is helpful in that way too because we won't have the same bias like my bias growing up in france might not be the same as the Someone's bias growing up in Colombia or growing up in the US or like we have different, uh, so we can just keep ourselves in check when we hear one of us say something that you're like, mm, careful. what? You, I don't know what you just said, you know, but like, I think having that level of just trust and, um, just communication on these things is important. And then, uh, just educating ourselves really. And that's what I try to do just across the company for people, not just in recruiting it's just constant conversations around it because it's never over. It's never just, okay, now we did the bias training. Everyone is cured of (laughs) centuries of discrimination. You know, it's like, it doesn't work that way. I think we need to just every day think about it, talk about it, face it. Um, And then in terms of more like practical, like things that we like to do is um, with resume review. I mean, really we have things that we look for and that way, we try not be distracted by other things like the experience, tenure, career progression. Like that's the you know skills if there are technical skills that are needed. Just looking at the facts and trying to not be be distracted by other things that don't actually matter. And then when we can doing an assignment as the first step of the interview process can be really helpful because when you know the next step is a phone screen like thirty minutes of your time you're going to be a lot more selective and then you have to use some kind of judgment based on the, you know, what you see on the resume versus if the first step is a, an assessment, especially for junior roles, they can just show what you can do, right? It's like, that's your opportunity. Just show what you can do. It doesn't matter what you did before. And I really love those like first assessments.
2: See what I think is really, really cool. And unfortunately, not very common is the fact that Runway, yourself, your team tends to meet candidates where they are, right? Whether it's transparency through the process, letting them understand that not only are we accepting, you know, regardless of where you're from or how you, you know, like to present yourself, but we're also transparent in how we go about, you know, receiving candidates, right? And mm-hmm. how we go mm-hmm. about almost relaying the kind of information we're looking to get out of you guys through that process. Mm-hmm. Uh Almost or really just trying to take a step back, going into your experience at Frame FrameIO. You were the fiftieth fiftieth employee, excuse me, correct? Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, you that's right.
2: Helped and you helped scale them to two hundred to an IPO with Adobe, billion plus, right? What was that experience like? Uh, what was your contribution uh, to that process and that growth uh, and just really just growing throughout towards an acquisition?
1: Yes, yes, um, yes. So it was yeah fiftieth employee, and then we scaled to about. 300 and then Adobe acquired uh, from I.O. So that definitely such a such a cool journey. I I didn't, you know, uh, think I would live something like this. It was it was really incredible. And also just the bond that it creates between people who share an experience like this is, is very special. Um, the experience was I mean, it was very fast paced, obviously. And I feel like what's what's interesting is from the outside, people often think of the success story and just assume like it was, it went smooth all the way. Um, and it, it doesn't. And that's what also makes it exciting when it works because you've had obstacles, you had to pivot, you had challenges. And then at the end, when it works, it's just so much sweeter than just the easy road. Um, and for the scaling, so. Yeah, I mean, it it ramped up. We had, we hired more and more people, obviously, to keep up with the demand and what the company was doing and the vision that we had. And for hiring, I think it was really important to me to make sure that we had very high caliber of talent and also high rate of diversity. And sometimes I feel like there, those are seen as not compatible, but I, there clearly are. And, um, and I think that was really, Part of the thing I was most happy with, and we could always do better, but is seeing the progression of the company that you know succeeded more and more and also had more and more diversity um and seeing those two you know together was really really rewarding
2: How do you approach that that practice of scaling you know maintaining you know quality standards as we spoke about before while still you know wanting to continue that upward trajectory? Within the company, and you could take that any direction, right? In terms of scaling yeah. teams, in terms of you know being efficient internally with culture and things like that. Yeah, please just break that down. Yeah.
1: I feel like, and I, and also that's how I hired recruiters on my team. But it comes down to operational excellence. It's just processes and systems, and just in order to have quality be um, scalable. And I feel like that's the same for everything, for product, for anything. You just gotta be really intentional and really organized. And so I think we had a process I can't just wing it. You can wing it for like four hires. You can't wing it if you're like, okay, now we need to hire a hundred people a year and keep the bar high always and keep diversity always. Like, okay, so how are we gonna do that? And just have a, a structured interview process in place, have very clear guidelines for how each recruiter operates, have metrics that we look at and just never compromising so the moment the bar goes down a little bit either on the candidate experiences is getting a little worse or the quality of the hires getting a little worse is just being uncompromisable i feel is something i feel very strongly about the moment it drops like one percent gotta bring it back up because if it starts dropping and you do nothing it shows that this is okay you know like good is is good enough and I think, and especially with, I mean, with everything, but with recruiting, I'm like, the good is not good enough, right? And I've heard that sometimes with, oh, you know, recruiting, like, interviewing experience is never pleasant anyway. Like, why would we work to make it better for candidates? I'm like, what? <laughs> so we're just accepting that this is just a horrible moment in some people's lives. Like, no, let's make it the best that it can be, because these things really, these it really makes a difference it makes people feel comfortable and make people feel valued and and it doesn't have to be horrible and um yeah I think I think that was the the biggest challenge but also really fun one and we started seeing it be fine-tuned and repeatable it's never perfect there'll be a mishire here and there there'll be like something we compromised on for speed you know like it happens but trying to have it not happen like or almost never happen is, is really important because it pays off
0: yeah for sure and you're not not deviating from that one percent you just mentioned right and making sure that one percent doesn't compound compound further from yes, that, yes. that bar that you set for sure uh you know love that so speaking of continue speaking about frame and your time to frame obviously as we mentioned acquired by adobe so something that we're really interested in, in is the fact that you're acquired and now it's a basically a combination of two completely different cultures two completely different teams coming together so you know what was that experience like and you know we would love to know how did you navigate the coming together of adobe and frame
1: yeah i mean definitely interesting experience i had never lived through something like this i was also only at adobe adobe for six months so i have limited experience but I think the mix of these two culture is, is interesting because startup and larger companies have very different ways of operating. So it's more in that way. I think merging with another startup, I'm sure would be its own challenge because there are two different cultures anyway. But I think that gap of just a understanding of the way that we operate is making it, um, just really interesting of a challenge right like the fact that we might be used to hire right 100 people a year as i mentioned right and in our minds like oh this is this is like high scale and at adobe i can't remember the year we we were acquired i think they had hired eight thousand people that year or something like this and it's just like oh okay we were cute thinking a hundred was like a lot And, and that comes with very different ways of of operating that is, uh, a challenge to speak the same language, I think. And, and that was a really interesting learning opportunity to see how things operate. And also the number of, um, just conversations that need to happen before making a decision, which makes sense because the each decision is impacting not, you know, a hundred or two hundred or three hundred people. It's impacting like 20,000, 30,000 people. So, I even saw it within IO From fifty to three hundred, the m- more people we had, the more I would think before organizing like a small event. Right before I would just be like, "Oh, we'll just do that tomorrow. Let's little happy hour." By the end, it's like, "Okay, who could be upset with <laughs> this thing?" Right? Or, or what will be the value it will add versus the time it will take to all from all of these people? So, I can only imagine at that scale. But that was. That was probably the biggest uh, learning and um, just interesting experience to go through was the level of decisions is just not the same speed and and because it's not the same impact.
2: So you've clearly dealt with you know culture and managing that at an early stage startup. You've dealt with it you know for that six month ten year at mm-hmm. Adobe. How would you almost describe the value of culture at any stage of a company and? What are some suggestions you'd give companies at any stage in terms of you know broadcasting that culture and making sure you know employees feel comfortable uh, when at work?
1: Yeah, I mean, for bigger state, scale, honestly, I I don't know because I I don't know enough. Like, how how does that work? What I do know is how do we ingrain it from the early days and have it grow? And I feel like that I'm I love doing. That's probably one of my favorite favorite part because at 50 or when i joined runway we were like 29 like everything is is possible every you know you make any changes it will it can take on and become the new norm um and i feel like each decision has this sort of um potential impact that you can envision of like if we if we do this that will set the tone for this behavior if we do this that will set the tone for this and so i feel like those are really really Fun to me, but also you have to be so intentional. And I think there are a few things I, I realized that culture, I mean, you can say things, you can say your value, you can, and we all know this culture is what happens when you're not looking and people are just interacting with each other and no one is watching, right? That's culture. And I think what matters is you can say these things and then what do you do, right? We're like, we want to be good people right that's often a value okay you have a top performer who's acting inappropriately with their colleague what do you do the moment you let them stay on or promote them or give them a public praise you broke your value it will it means nothing to say we don't tolerate you know um people who don't behave well or we want to be great people like it, it has lost it's meaning in one second right and i feel like that's what i try and really pay attention to is actually the very small things not the big the big things that are important you say it you share it externally but it's really day to day what do you actually do when someone comes to you and they report something back do you listen or do you not take them seriously when you say oh i'll i'll look into it do you actually do it or do you not like all of these things i feel will build or trust or or break it. Um, so I think that that really, to me, is what will define culture. Like we care about diversity. Okay, what what decisions do you make every single day that actually impacted positively or negatively? Um, so that that's how I think about culture: is those small behaviors, not the big splashes.
2: So how how would you address that problem? Right. So that that example you gave, right? You have a high performer, right, who's clearly breaking one of the company's core values. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how do you address it? Do you I mean do you just fire them? Do you bring them in? Do you have like a convention? Like what? How do you go about it?
1: Um, I would say first, I everyone deserves a chance to hear what they're doing wrong and to turn it around. So that's my the number one thing. I'm like if I witness something like this, or if I hear by someone else, depending on the sensitivity, but usually I would encourage the person to have the conversation themselves because. The moment I get looped in, I'm like, I heard from your colleague, like their relationship is going to be severely damaged. So it sometimes might make sense if it's too sensitive. But most of the time someone comes and say, hey, this person did this. I will try and coach them through having the conversation directly with their colleague. If it turns it around, amazing. If it doesn't, maybe I talk to them next. But there are certain behaviors that are just also, that's why I am saying it depends on the severity, right? There are certain things like a comment or something that would just cross the line clearly. Yes, to me, that's an immediate action. But you need leadership support. And when I joined Runway, I know that was one of the things I I interviewed them on, the leaders especially, the Chris, the CEO, is what values do they hold and what would they do if I come in and I say, this person has to go. they did this, and that's that's no. I know they're a top performer, but they have to go because they disrespected their colleagues. they did this they did this um and I know I would have their support because I've seen again their their actions and their words and everything that gave me face that we were aligned on on values and so that to me is a is a no brainer um because i've seen I've just seen it go go wrong when you like. You, you can no longer go and tell people, like, you have to do this well, and then you just, this other person gets a pass, like, you know, but why? So, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, how I would approach this specific situation.
0: Yep, totally makes sense. Again, setting that standard, not deviating from that standard, because a lot of bad things, as probably you've seen, could happen when you tend to deviate from that standard. So, you know, speaking a lot about culture, um, let's kind of zoom in specifically on the culture of runway, right? So being a remote first company, but also having a lot of, uh, you know, employees headquartered in New York like yourself. How would you describe the culture of dynamics and, you know, what is that like at Runway?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say we have a pretty amazing culture right now. Honestly, it's, uh, it's just, and when I ask people what they like most and how they talk about their colleagues and it's just, it's really heartwarming and I think uh, that's my my mission now is how to preserve it and scale it um, because I think that's, that's already pretty hard to achieve what the company has today in terms of culture and the way people talk mm-hmm. to each other and treat each other. Um, in terms of the remote nature, that is something for sure that I always try and pay really close attention to and not just myself obviously but, but others and the leadership team is how do we not create two culture? And so I think that's always a work in progress. So same thing as diversity, as culture. Like it's never just like done. Now we have a great culture forever. Like it's constant thinking about it. But I think having behaviors like not, I feel very strongly about not enforcing people having to go to the office because from that perspective, it does become a hybrid culture. And for for me personally, I feel like that's just not... I don't see how it works. I mean, some people are forced to go to the office, whereas if you live over a certain distance to the office, you can fully work from home. I It just, I don't know how to deal with that. I It feels odd to me. So I like this flexibility. If you want to come in, here is this available office versus this is our headquarter. This is where all important decisions are made. I prefer to say this is available. People want to come. When uh, people who are not based in New York come to New York, this is available to them as well. And for company meetings, if we are in the office, joining the meetings from our laptops, like we just had a company meeting right now and everyone joined from their own laptop, even though there's maybe 12 of us in the office today. But that sets the tone. We're all the same. Where everyone's just joining from their laptop and we. it's not like a few of us are in the room with the CEO having this sort of different um, experience of the same meeting so we try and do that again yes I'm sure there's some, there's some differences right that we can do things in person we could have had lunch together yesterday of the, the people who are in the office so it's not perfect but I feel like this is a way to try and make it more um, even and then through employee engagement surveys that I, I send twice a year uh, which are anonymous but you can filter by location so I try and pay attention. I only break it down in three groups, because to you know preserve anonymity, so you can just see people based in New York, people based in the U.S. but not in New York, and then people based uh, international. or Sometimes group all of them, just to make sure we don't start seeing a difference in a engagement of people who are in New York versus people who aren't. And if we do see it, then at least we can address it and try and make things better.
2: Following up with what you were saying, the culture. I believe off camera, we spoke about how, was it, 30% of your employee base is in New York City, and of that 30%, I believe you said 50% of them actually come into the office. Am I right?
1: 50% of our employees are based in New York, and yes, I would say about 50% of those actually come somewhat regularly to the office. Yeah.
2: Beautiful. So. How do you how do you manage sustaining culture, right, and just enthusiasm pushing through the day to day, right? With some people coming in and intermingling with one another. I know you said a lot of your 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 coworkers you know are really just based all over the world. Uh, just mm-hmm. maintaining that enthusiasm, maintaining that you know, scaling and upbeat mentality with everyone. How do you how do you do that?
1: Yeah, so I think I mean there are a few things that we can do that you know are like feel good moment. But I think the real day-to-day excitement comes from when people are excited about the work that they're doing, about their colleagues that they're interacting with, about their manager, and about the direction the company is going. So that's the more, to me, that's the actual like substantial uh, things that matter that if they're not there, like you can do virtual events and games and you know but it won't fix the core of a toxic culture so that i think is the most most important so just trying to keep hiring people that we think embody our values and um, keep having manager training around feedback and how to have career conversation have uh, things like performance reviews obviously and um the surveys as well, obviously to see what's, what's going well, what what's going well, what could be done better. And then in, in terms of the more like little fun things that we would do, but just trying to, to think of virtual events, like during the holiday season, we had a virtual event with the whole company. We sent gingerbread houses to, you know, each employee made them together over Zoom and then sent all the pictures, had a contest of who would, you know, win the, the, best gingerbread house and and things like that or um doing women history months we decided to all hop on zoom watch a short video and have a open conversation around gender equality and what does that mean and what are the bias against men and women or obviously people from other uh, gender identities but really thinking about all aspects of gender and how we can achieve equality so those are just like The little things that we try and put in place at least once a month or uh, doing like a weekly shout out in our company meeting where people can give each other shout outs or the way we celebrate birthdays. Uh, Whoever had a birthday that week, well, they'll hop on Zoom and they do like a little scratch, like a lottery ticket. Most They'll like scratch virtually on the camera and then win a prize. So those are the more like little things. But as I said before, I think those are nice enhancement of a culture but the real culture is how we treat each other how we talk to our employees um how we deal with them when they have like real issues and they need support um how we treat someone when they're not performing well like those are the, those are the real show i think of our behaviors
2: so Culture is clearly a hot topic, especially with you know the up and coming demographics you know gen z millennials they really care about culture they really care about doing meaningful work uh How do you broadcast that culture and showcase that culture you know to prospective candidates and really just to intermingle you know that question how do you see the relationship between culture and employer branding right and understanding these are our efforts that broadcast our brand and broadcast what we represent to again gen z millennials and even you know. Gen Xers and everyone else, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think we could do, first of all, we could do more on our employer branding at, at Runway. But the way I like to think about it is, um, walk the walk first and then talk about what you're doing. And I feel like the other way around makes me feel a little bit, uh, uncomfortable to just be like, here is everything we are before we actually have proven that this is what we are. And so, I feel like now we are in a place where we can, you know, speak more about our values, how we operate, because I see it day to day. And I think it's, it's really felt by the employees. But, um, that I think is, is a key piece of employer branding that sometimes doesn't get, you know, handled very well is when you're misrepresenting your, your company and your culture, because that's pretty clear from the moment candidates start interviewing. And then definitely clear the moment they join. Um, and so that we try as much as possible. We feature employees and we ask them to talk about it. And we put the quote that they sent us, like as much as possible, having our employees talk about the culture, because that's really what culture is. Their perception is, you know, reality. And so I think, um, that's a, a way that I like to do it. Um, and then. I think obviously there are things that are that are that help with attracting candidates and with testing our culture like some of the best places to work lists are are helpful also because they send a survey people actually have to vote and then it shows externally um so those I think all help just having more people know who we are so especially as a smaller company I think that's important and then to me, it's really once they actually start talking to to us their candidate experience is their first real taste of the of the culture um and how we how they feel during that that time so yep that's kind of my my view on the employer branding is just being really mindful that everything we put out there is we can really stand behind, not just me or the you know leadership team is like employees should see that post and be like yep that's exactly what it's like to work at runway
2: so you work at frame you are part of the adobe team now you're at runway how receptive have employees been to participate in said things like speaking on the behalf of the company and showcasing you know what it's really like you know behind closed doors
1: um i think when you have a good culture and um that employees uh feel respected they often want to i also think that when asking employees to do things like this uh i always try and think of what the value will be for them because speaking engagement is a really it's yes you can help promote the company but it's also a really nice way to uh, promote the employee themselves right and have a speaking opportunity have potential uh visibility externally so Those are, those are really nice. But so I try to make sure that they have something to gain and also uh, always giving the opportunity to say no. When we ask people like, do you want to be featured? Do you want to say something like, and if they don't want to, that of course they're, they're allowed to. Um, but yes. So I think in good cultures, people are very excited to do it because they are proud to work where they work and they want to tell other people about it. Um, so then that becomes easy. It's just giving a a platform and, you know, operationalizing the the way to do it.
0: For sure, for sure. So, Anna, one question we love to ask all of our guests here on the Brandon Beyond podcast is what's one question you'd have for maybe another operator, founder, someone you just look out to in any field that would help you on your journey in your career as you continue to grow? Putting you on the spot, I know, I know.
1: I mean, I feel like, I, I think it depends on the day. That I feel like depending on what I'm facing, I might have more questions. But um okay, maybe my, my question that I would have for anyone is just what's the most innovative thing that they've done on the employee or culture side? Because I think this is a space that doesn't, innovate nearly as fast as product and I I think it's really exciting to think of ways that we can disrupt things and a few companies or a few people leaders have done things that were a bit disruptive but I always love to hear about this and when I hear someone did this thing that I've never heard anyone do I feel like that gets me really excited so talking to two Founders, people leader, and here like what's the most disruptive thing that they've done from a people perspective?
0: Definitely. Love that. Also it's always good to learn more about the people's face and air opinions, what we do every day on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, Anna, you've been absolutely fantastic and we appreciate you so much coming on. Where can the people find you? Learn more about yourself. Um, learn more about what you have going on. Uh, please, and whatever else you like to plug.
1: Uh, I mean, LinkedIn is a good good place. Uh, yeah. if people want to connect with me on LinkedIn and obviously uh, look at the Runway careers page or any question that people might have about Runway or about the people function. So yes, LinkedIn is probably the, the best place to, to go to find information on both.
0: Beautiful. Anna, again, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. You were absolutely fantastic. And to all of our listeners, until, until next time. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you both so much for having me.